Hello, PMC fam. I am your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and boy, do we have some major 5A heavyweights on this episode as I talk about last season's 5A Jeffco League that will look just a hair different, just swapping one team out and putting one new team in, but still talking about the participants of last year's 5A Jeffco League, as well as the 5A Centennial League, which we have previously called the SEC of Colorado football. For these teams, we are going to be talking about last year's recap, what happened during their season, maybe some standout players who graduated, and then we are going to talk about some standout players who will be returning to the gridiron for said program, and then finally finishing off with a window of wins or wow projection for their upcoming season. And so the first team that we're going to talk about is Arvada West here, who was, you know, in my opinion, a contender last year, despite uh, having some stumbles and just some bad luck at the end of the season, you know, behind a dynamic offense and, you know, great special teams and defense, you know, they were just well-rounded. This defense got to the quarterback constantly. A West won the 5A Jeffco League, uh, but at the cost of losing their starting quarterback prior to the playoffs and, you know, even though they had that first week by, they did lose in the first playoff game that they played. But looking back at this season, you know, started off with three dominant wins over Wheat Ridge, Legacy, and Horizon before losing to Cherry Creek, and then bouncing back with another three wins over Fossil Ridge, Columbine, and an absolute thriller that, you know, was definitely an upset win for them. And then they beat Mullen following that. They lost pretty harsh to Pomona, which I found to be quite a surprise, but then beat Lakewood and Ralston Valley once again in another thriller, 17-10, before, like I said, having that first round bye and Columbine avenging their regular season loss in the postseason since A-West was without Ethan Cook. But as far as graduating seniors, you know, more on Ethan Cook here in a, in a minute. You know, the defense did a great job of pressuring the quarterback they clocked 29 hurries last season and 28 and a half sacks. But the unfortunate part is that Reed Henkel, who led the team in sacks and hurries with 10 and 8 respectively, graduates as well as the second, third, and fourth leaders in said categories. All in all, 85% of sacks and 97% of hurries graduate on this defense, and that's only scratching the surface. Everyone in the secondary who recorded an interception last season graduates, which varies from, you know, Jacob Simpson and Isaiah Thomas, who both only had one, and Isaiah having four pass deflections. But then it escalates as high as Angelo St. James and Chris Wilcox, who both had four, with the latter also recovering two fumbles. Overall, this Wildcat defense is losing a lot of talent, and even people who didn't force turnovers like Senya racked up five pass deflections and he departs leaving more room through the air for opposing offenses to move the chain. In addition to, you know, having an interception, Jacob Simpson was second on the team in tackles only to Mason Hagel Pitt who notched 98 tackles and nine or 10 of those ending up in the backfield. Third leading tackler Wyatt Blomquist also helped this trio count for over 250 tackles and 16 in the backfield. That doesn't include an additional 385 tackles 
that were from the class of 2022, including tackle for loss monsters like Henkel, who had 14 and a half, Brandon Simpson, who had 13. I believe he was an All-State Honorable Mention guy. Michael Runnels, who had 12. And Hagel Pitt, who also notched double digits. Uh, mentioning this, these few is in no way a slight at the other 16 collisions in the backfield, but is a big chunk of this cumulative 89% of tackles for loss this defense watches sail away. Transitioning to special teams, the only kickoff return for a score last season came from Jacob Simpson, but even more productive was Ian Lee, who returned two punts to the house in addition to his three receiving touchdowns, where his speed and cuts made him a huge mismatch in the slot. I digress, but he did pace this team in total return yards with 156 on kickoff and another 236 from punt, which makes his total yards from scrimmage just over 800 last year and is, you know, the, both of those guys were factors on special teams. That is a facet of the game. And, you know, A West was able to win a lot of, you know, games through special teams, or they were able to win in that facet of the game. And then you only have to win in offense or defense has always been the way that, you know, my coaches have talked about it in the past. So losing that dynamo kind of, explosiveness and speed on special teams is going to hurt this team long-term. Uh, lastly, Cade Russell was another dimension of this offense, breaking the 100-yard barrier on three occasions this past season and also found double-digit touchdowns on the ground. And it's worrying that an All-State honorable mention lineman and Willie Fisher departs after leaving, you know, departs, leaving room for more injuries in the West backfield that, you know, did end their season probably a little bit shorter than it normally would have. And all in all, the defense has four All-State Honorable Mention members leaving. So why am I going to still end up kind of high on this team? Well, you know, I guess you could look at the defense. You could see Charlie Smith, who was the only non-senior in the top five of tackles with 75, recording five of those for loss. Or you could look at last year's sophomore effort from Jordan Schneider, where he collected, you know, 10 tackles and one for loss in only three games of action. So, you know, inflated over an entire season, you could see that see an uptick. And you could also probably see an uptick in Davis Jones, who had two tackles for loss and only a single game played, and maybe look to replace some of the replacing some of the incredible pressure that the Wildcats were able to generate this past season. But all in all, it'll be up to the offense to bridge the gap of the talent that they did lose this past season. And it'll be up to returning quarterback Ethan Cook to, you know, cook something up on this offensive side of the ball. It was really unfortunate how his season ended last year. And, you know, we here at the pod had some concerns about his hip and seeing how he'd recover but watching him at Bronco 7 at 7 or 7v7, I felt that he could still make tough throws outside the numbers and down the field. The real question and second half comes up when he starts getting hit and faces pressure and how his mobility handles the workload. You know, last year he was able to run for 230 yards and three scores, which isn't a lot, but I wonder if he'll be able to match that with with the hip. I wonder if he'll be able to take as many hits as he took last year. That's the second half of this equation of the hip injury. Um, and it's also worth noting that, you know, in their two losses that he was under center last year, 
He posted QBRs of 62.3 and 44.2 and also got away with a dreadful game against Legacy. And I don't think that he'll have as much slack this season because the defense isn't as good. So he won't be able, he won't be afforded poorer performances like those in the losses that they had. But there are two athletes who do make Ethan's life easier in the class of 2023. That's receivers Drew Martinez and Brady Witherspoon, who both stand over six foot three and averaged around 65 yards per game and route to 1,300 combined yards and 17 scores. I noticed that Martinez's targets grew, especially in the red zone, where his status as one of the top red zone threats could remain. But both might suffer from attention that had to be dedicated to the slot last season. We'll see if either a new slot receiver comes in or maybe if more targets on the outside helps these guys out. But looking at their window of wins for this fall 2022 season, it's going to be a very interesting season. I like their schedule here. And let's say just for hypothetical sake, let's worst case scenario it that they lose this opening game to Thunder Ridge on the road. They then win their next two games, I think, against Boulder and Horizon for losing to Creek. And then, you know, Boss Ridge is another kind of toss-up game, but I'm going to give them the edge in that because they are playing at home before heading into league play. So league play won't be easy this year, but I could see them overcoming a Chatfield squad that maybe has some questions on offense and play style before beating Lakewood. But then in their last three games, I think best case scenario, they probably go two or one and two uh, between Pomona, Columbine, and Ralston Valley. That's just, you're facing the three best teams in the league to close the season, which is crazy to me. Um, so we'll see. But I think that, you know, the losses on the defensive side of the ball will be hard to replace. And that leads to a window of wins or wow of five to seven. And I think six and four is probably an appropriate number of wins here where they beat Boulder, Horizon, Fossil Ridge. That makes up three. And then Chatfield, Lakewood. And I'm assuming, I'm going to assume Pomona here uh, is the closest opponent out of those three to close the season. And, you know, this is a team that probably makes the postseason once again behind Ethan Cook. And this aerial attack more so than the eight and three squads defense last year now i'm not trying to pour salt in the wound but we are going to transition to the team that did beat and end arvada west season last year talking about the columbine rebels you know and their season was not for the faint of heart as they won their very first four games including an out-of-state game against a las vegas squad before they lost to valor for the first time and then they got upset by Arvada West by dropping 10 points in the last five minutes. They recuperated with a huge win over Lakewood and another solid win over Mullen before getting handled by Rouson Valley in league. And then they ended up winning their very last game of the season against Pomona and ending on a high note 20 to six while resting their star running back. And, um, you know, I think that it stinks that they lost their first round by with their losses to uh, RV and A West, but they still took care of business against Far Northeast. They avenged their loss against Arvada West, who was without 
Ethan Cook. And then their season ended with a, another loss to Valor for a second time in the Elite Eight. And I think that part of that comes from the fact that they couldn't throw themselves back into the game with a 10-point deficit down the stretch of this game. But, you know, talking about graduating seniors and what made this team so dominant, I mean, in the postseason through the first two wins, they won their playoff games by a margin of 94 to 21, which is just absurd. They scored over 100 points in three games that they played, so that was really dominant. And I think that a huge part of that comes from the lead back and first team All-State running back, Seth Cromwell, who paced the team at 1,296 yards, ran for 20 scores, didn't play in the final regular season game of, of the season. And he was also a stud on defense, recording 79 tackles and leading the team with six tackles for loss. So anything that you needed out of this guy, he was able to deliver on both sides of the ball. And now he's going to do his thing at Missouri Western. And, you know, while running the ball is essential to Columbine culture and success, the defense is always on the high end of talent and execution with physicality both in the run and the pass game. In the pass game, the Rebels recorded 20 interceptions and were paced by safety senior Wes Jones, who had five interceptions leading this squad, but wasn't alone as Grayson Hedrick also had four interceptions of his own and Brock Zaintel had two interceptions himself. Between these three leaders, they had almost 200 return yards and also each recovered a fumble and combined for seven pass deflections. Overall, this defense sees 80% of all interceptions depart from graduation and plenty of interception return yards also departing. And, you know, talking about these guys as well as Cromwell just brings forth the ugly truth that you know, the defense was really senior heavy. They're losing eight of their top 11 tacklers. And while you have familiar names like Grayson Hedrick, Wesley Jones, and Cromwell, uh, there are some guys who we haven't discussed, like leading QB rusher Logan Cray, who is one of the our top edge rushers last season in the senior class with a knack of batting passes, overwhelming tackles, and guards with great strength in a season that saw him collect seven sacks, 51 tackles, and five for loss. You're also losing lineman Trace Williams-Mitchell, who is one of the top tacklers on defense, another first-team All-State guy who collected his diploma this past spring. And, you know, offensively, you do lose a couple of weapons. Wes Jones was the marquee pass catcher with 308 yards on only 15 receptions. And then Daniel Alatheo, I want to say, was second on the squad with 103 yards and a score in only six games played. And... You know, when you're going to look through this season historically on the stat sheet, you're going to be like, hey, well, they also graduated Brock Zaintel, who, you know, there are some solid numbers here, 12 touchdowns, one interception, but he, I, I wouldn't say he was capable of throwing the Rebels back into games. And I think that, you know, their final game of the season reflected that very much so, where his limitations on accuracy and ball placement just really bared the worst side of his game and ultimately ended this rebel season right so while the stats of 12 touchdowns to one pick looks fantastic he did struggle with some accuracy issues for returning playmakers you know this squad sees the return of leading tackler and arguably the leading playmaker for this upcoming season in peyton wainwright 
He had 82 tackles last season, four of them for loss, and tied Logan Cray in sacks with seven himself. His ferocity on defense is overwhelming to any lineman, and his speed or athleticism makes him dangerous, whether edge rushing or playing in coverage, jamming up receivers to a visible level of frustration, batting passes, or his versatility and occasionally putting his hand in the dirt. Yeah, sometimes he came down to the line, put his hand in the dirt, and got to the quarterback that way. Incredible talent in Peyton Wainwright, who I think has only improved against the pass with the work that he's done this offseason. Additionally, you also get back James uh, Sillison, I want to say, who is a sophomore when he notched 33 tackles and utilized a lethal rip move to get by tackles and guards alike in the run game especially, but also showed the ability to pressure the signal caller into bad or batted throws. Rocky Shields is a huge name returning to the trenches with multiple D1 opportunities and offers following a season that saw him just out-muscle the opposition and collect five sacks on defense. But jumping over to the offensive side of the ball, you know, they do lose Cromwell, but I think that the two backs behind him are special. You have Tyree Trusty, who's somebody whose film we've broken down, and I've noticed, I think he has a higher upside athletically than Seth Cromwell. And the same can honestly be said about Josh Schneider, who saw limited snaps as a sophomore, but still recorded a game with over 100 yards. And I want to say that might have even been the Pomona game. But, you know, this dynamic duo can inflict some serious pain on opposing defenses. And this offensive line won the Broncos lineman challenge during, you know, the same day that the 7-on-7 seven seven was going. And so, you know, that means that this line is returning some studs and they just always have some monsters that move the entire line of scrimmage four yards upfield before the tailback is even asked to do anything. And so looking at this schedule this year, I am pretty high on Columbine. I think that they have some interesting matchups. You know, they have two home games to start against Legacy and Mullen before playing Dakota Ridge on the road. I think that this is one of their more challenging games, despite it coming from a 4A team, before they face Cherokee Trail, Arapahoe, and Fort Collins to end that run of league games, which, if you notice, that is six scheduled games. I'm not sure if this one on Friday against Legacy is a recorded regular season game or if it is just a preseason game. So keep that in mind. But heading forward into league, you know, like I said, Dakota Ridge is probably the best challenge on here. And even then, uh, that's probably a game that they win up front just with the size and mass that they have. And, and it's a 4A team. Then in league, you got obviously Pomona, Rouse Valley, Arvetta West. I think that they're starting off with some of the bigger challenges, but I think that outside of maybe Rouse Valley, they should win all of those games and then beat Lakewood and Chatfield on the road. And I very realistically see them not losing a single game all year. And, you know, if you put that for an 11 game season, that puts them at 11 and 0. But let's say that they play a 10 game season, 10 and 0. But with a window of wins of 9-10, to 10, I just don't think that there's a lot of teams that can challenge them other than maybe this Rouston Valley squad and maybe this Dakota Ridge squad. If they drop one of those games, it's not the biggest deal, but I really just don't see them dropping both of those games as, you know, they just return a lot of meat up front. 
on both sides of the ball and their defense is still going to be talented and their talent pool every year is you know one of the best so i'm until proven wrong i'm not going to bet against columbine during the regular season during the regular season we'll see if they can figure something out through the air for the postseason up next we have the returning lakewood tigers who you know i'd say they they peaked really early they got off to a three and one start this past year they lost to bear creek in a very close game that you know if the ball bounces a different way maybe they go four no but then they beat westminster i I'm going to call this game against Rocky Mountain a six-point upset, honestly. And then they beat Chaparral by four, which I will also call an upset because uh, Chaparral was a playoff team eventually, one that even, you know, competed pretty all right in the first round. Then Rocky Mountain was a team that was fringe playoffs versus the rest of this Lakewood season that just went down the toilet. I mean, they played some really tough teams, you know, Palmer Ridge, Pomona, Columbine, Ralston Valley, Arvada West, Mullen. That is brutalizing. But after that start of three and one to lose six consecutive games, including all of your games in league and not winning a single game at home. Woof. That is a really tough year. And it kind of only gets worse when you look at the class of 2022 that won't be back in the fold. And the biggest L here outside of, you know, the seven that they took during the regular season is ending in the word add. Since he led the team in both rushing and receiving yards, collecting over a thousand scrimmage yards in just seven recorded games. Connor Ladd's athleticism gave this team fighting chances in the early season but just eventually wasn't enough to overcome this somewhat poor line and complementary rushers that just don't have a whole lot to offer. Um, look, the backfield had seniors as the second and third leading rushers as Tony Cisneros and quarterback Max Shadler combined for over 500 yards, and Shadler himself recorded more TDs than INTs, completed over 60% of his passes, but just didn't really have the elite ability to stretch the field and often relied on playmakers' ability with the ball to make moves and plays. And so, you know, those, the guys who are making moves and plays, they're going to be gone. Like I said, Connor Ladd led this team in receiving on top of being the leading rusher. Gannon Hazelwood was the second leading receiver, and he also graduated. Then you jump over to the defensive side of the ball, and the top three tacklers all graduated. Jack Cedarberg had 87, Caleb Keith had 70, and Chase Gallegos had 68. And in addition, the sack leader and eighth leading tackler, Lorenzo Rojas, departs after this season too. Whew, that is a lot of losses for a team that just really fell apart during the second half of the season and probably can't afford those losses. But, you know, following the top three tacklers, the Tigers see the next four players return. We get class of 2024 stud, Diego Cordova, who had 46 tackles, and Addison Redinger return, with Redinger being second on the team in sacks, and he'll probably take the leap to be the lead guy pressuring the quarterback. We also get incoming seniors Seth Douglas and Robert Martinez, who mark the rest of the top seven tacklers with a combined 84. And there's plenty who saw snaps, but the lead guys with touches last year at quarterback and running back looks like two incoming seniors of Nico Mancha under center, 
who needs to cut back on turnovers. And then running the rock could potentially be Vince Martinez, who will have to be a little bit more creative with his vision following his 3.2 yards per carry average last season. So lots of question marks on both sides of the ball. And boy, this schedule does not help that. Three wins may have been peak for the Lakewood Tigers, who just have a ton of questions on the offensive side of the ball and who has an insanely diff difficult schedule. I mean, even starting off the league or the year, I should say, once again against Bear Creek, they're a 4 team, but they might be, you know, in that respectable program kind of range again. This game is a coin toss, in my opinion, but then Lakewood has Fairview, Thunder Ridge, Mullen, Eagle Crest, Rouston Valley, Arvada West, Chatfield, Columbine, Pomona. They're all playoff teams. All of those teams, other than maybe Bear Creek, are playoff teams, in my opinion. You'll hear more about Eagle Crest later this episode when I talk Centennial League. But I honestly think that best case scenario, if they maybe upset Mullen or, or beat Arvada West or Chatfield, they win maybe at best three games. But I'm going to put a window of wins as low as zero. And my projected number is going to be one in nine. I think that their best shot to win a game is this very first one against Bear Creek, who also graduated a ton of talent. I mean, even more so than Lakewood. But part of that is also just that Bear Creek did have more talent last year as a program. But all in all, this might be a seriously tough year for the Lakewood Tigers who, you know, maybe I'm overlooking some things, but I'm just going to go with my gut here until I am proven wrong. This next squad here was in the Jeffco League last year, but has since moved on. And I'm talking about the Mullen Mustangs and basically off the strength of an upset over Legend High School, Mullen rode a state worst three wins into the playoffs where they at least won a game before getting bent over backwards by an impressive Grandview squad and, you know, losing twice as many games as they won with their senior running back graduating and their young quarterback moving. It'll be interesting to see how Mullen plans to approach this upcoming season. They'll be helped by playing in a way easier league. So this is graduating seniors slash departing talent in this segment here. And I think that the obvious headline as to so many teams from the 5A Jeffco League last year is the tailback position where Kyle Krebs broke 1,100 yards and scored 11 total times last season. And he's only one of multiple skill position guys that are just getting raided here on this Mullen roster where they graduate the top six pass catchers, Carhey, Hurdy, uh, Broyette, the aforementioned Krebs, obviously, Warren and Cardenas all received their diploma in addition to two other seniors, one of which just passed 100 yards in Kanik. Uh, so all in all, the receiving corps only sees 7%, 7% of all yards return. And, you know, of that core, uh, Broyette was the most impactful on special teams with his total scrimmage yards getting over 1,000 yards, leaving a big gap there. Not to mention he was the team leader in interceptions and... You know, he wasn't the only loss in the secondary because Bertad matched Broyette's production and two other seniors in Ben Martinez's one interception and a team second best five pass deflections and Jackson Heal also depart with interceptions. And Heal was the 
tackle leader on this squad with 115 tackles. So serious talent in the back end, as well as guys who are coming up, making plays and contesting the run game while also being studs in the pass game. And then you also have Connor Warren who graduates after being an opportunistic defender, recovering three fumbles this past season, blocking a field goal and being third on the team in tackles while leading with tackles for loss. So, you know, and and not to mention he also pressured signal callers a second best 19 times and got to the quarterback plenty of times as well to basically match his tackle for loss totals. So you're losing just a lot of snaps. You're losing a lot of snaps and a lot of yards on both sides of the ball. You're losing excellent special teams help. And that's coming from a team that already went four and eight last season. How bad does that bode for the Mustangs? Well, let's take a look at the returning playmakers before we jump to any conclusions where, you know, I think that there will be a competition under center this upcoming season. You have an incoming freshman in Nick Accardi, who was good last season in eighth grade and had an impressive offseason with Team Full Gorilla, but will have to take it and compete with an upperclassman in Caleb Valdez-Limos, who did a little bit of everything for the Mustangs last year, throwing for 765, rushing for 430, and overall having 1,212 yards and six total scores. You know, you look at Caleb, he's an incoming senior, threw for a handful of yards, and also completed 60% of his passes, almost 61% of his passes, which I'm pretty sure would have been a team best. So why wasn't he the big starter this past year? Well, it's because he threw a lot of interceptions. Um, he threw over twice as many picks as he did scores. I want to say his ratio was four to nine versus their, you know, who would have been an incoming junior quarterback, Blake Palladino, who is a part of the departing talent conversation since, you know, he did move and transferred to Dakota Ridge. So you lose a big armed quarterback who is a little bit smarter with the football. Well, statistically, like two to three times as smart with the football as Caleb Valdez Lemos here. And on top of that, all of the skill position players, right? So who's he going to be throwing to? How is he going to get his QBR up? What is his decision-making going to look like? And what does he have going for him? Well, it is worth mentioning that Hayden Woodruff is returning to the fold. This is a D1 caliber offensive lineman who is dominant in both the run and the pass game. And I can only imagine him coming back more polished as a senior and, you know, making that jump from second team All-State to first team All-State. That's the only place to go. They are returning a handful of offensive linemen here and have lots of depth size-wise, which is helpful. Additionally, on the defensive side of the ball, though they are losing some of their top guys from last year. They are returning an All-State honorable mention in Ishmael Aceves Jr., who recorded 113 tackles last year, and eight of those being in the backfield. And in addition to him, four of the top six tacklers will be joining Aceves as two other Class of 23 players in Hunter Lay, 66 tackles, four for loss, team leading 24 hurries and four and a half sacks, and Aaron Waymeyer, uh, who is the last of any player to record over 40 tackles, both return. And then a sophomore who rounded out the top five of tackles and already has an offer to CU is AJ 
Gaida, who is a just absolute unit at 210 pounds and is a physical force on the defensive side of the ball who can force in completions with big hits, as well as, you know, probably see an uptick in forced fumbles as well. So I'm looking at this Mullen schedule. It is going to be an easier year because they're not in the Jeffco, but their non-league games, I think, are still going to be quite difficult. I don't find it improbable that the Mustangs trip out the gate and go 0-3, losing to Columbine, Erie, and potentially Santa Margarita uh, out of California. They had a winning record last year, and I don't know who the Mullen quarterback is, so that gives me some concerns on how they start here. And then this is where their coaching, their culture, and their grit is going to be tested here. Because starting 0-3, if you're down in the dumps and you're like, oh, woe is me, we're 0-3, you could lose this Lakewood game. This is a trap game that you absolutely should not overlook, especially if you're 0-3, because if you lose this Lakewood game, you're going to lose the Pine Creek game, and boom, you're 0-5 to start the season. Not the worst thing that could happen, but I will project that they, you know, pull pick themselves up by their bootstraps, and they go 1-4 and four to start non-league here before going to league where, honestly, worst-case scenario, they go 3-2. and two. Worst-case scenario, they go 3-2 and two in this league that includes Horizon, Brighton, Legacy, Prayer View, and Range View. But with the all-around talent and the defensive prowess of this team, they should go 5-0 and oh in league. So... You add those up, 1-4 to start, 5-0 and in league. You get 6-4 and four is my projected record with a window of wins of 4-6 to six, where, say, they lose maybe a league game or, or two or, or drop another one and go winless out of league. Either way, I think that four to, they don't lose any more than six games, so they got to win at least four, but they should win this league. They should go 6-4 and four and take over this 5A front range league in this upcoming season. Progressing here, we're going to talk about the Pomona Panthers, who were just a really intriguing squad that was hard to get a read on uh, throughout the season. They just had a handful of inconsistencies in their season. And, I mean, gosh, let's just take a look at this. You know, they lose their season opener by a single point to Grandview on a last-minute drive getting a thumping at the hands of Creek, but then they pick up two quick wins, one massive one over Doherty, 44-14, and then they beat Legacy, which was a solid playoff team, 26-20, before losing another one-point game to a Centennial League team in Smoky Hill. I'm going to go ahead and say that this was an upset on Smoky Hill's part. Uh, they're obviously very talented, but this is a game that I'm sure Pomona was expecting to win, and most of the state was expecting them to win. But then they get into league and they really find their groove and they pull off some pretty tough wins. You know, obviously they beat up on Lakewood like they're supposed to, but then they hold Ralston Valley's, you know, multiple offense to only three points and they put up 17 here. They then obliterate Arvada West. I mean, embarrass this team 42 to 14, which I didn't see coming in that projections. I mean, up until that point, the only teams that they really beat down were Doherty and Lakewood. So to see them really put it together against this Arvada West squad and just find a handful of ways to perform. I mean, they forced three interceptions on the opposing quarterback, Ethan Cook, who, you know, was coming off or leaning into this game, was having a solid enough season. They clamped down on the run game. They ran for over 200 yards in this game. Like, they were just clicking 
on all cylinders. And so I think that when you think of the high end of Pomona, that's what they were capable of is, you know, stepping up in the passing game and, you know, playing physical football on defense while also grinding your bones on offense. They then get a two score win over Mullen, 21 to seven before losing to Columbine with league on the line. You know, at this point, they are six and three, I want to say. So you win this, you're at seven and three. Got to be feeling good. And you go undefeated in league, which would have been massive for this first year coach, Nate Johnson. But Columbine, you know, we made it out to this game. It was really underwhelming. It was honestly a boring game because both these teams just run like off tackle all the time. But they lose that game still secures them a home playoff game against Castleview, but not a first round buy that maybe could have been used uh, since so many players had to step up down this stretch to perform this well in league. But, you know, they get into this game against Castleview. They have a solid performance with, you know, their, their past defense outside of one 80 yard touchdown. They hold them to under 55 yards. They hold three-star recruit Blake Haggerty to only 21 receiving yards on three catches, which is pretty insane. So they win this one, and then their season ends against Regis Jesuit, 28-21, to which I think is a respectable, a respectable loss. So, you know, looking at this squad, they had a, this was a senior-heavy squad, and this was a first-year coach, so... I still think that there's a lot to learn about the Pomona Panthers, but let's go ahead and talk about all this talent that is leaving. And I'm going to start off with actually a defensive or a division one offensive lineman in Aaron Karras, who anchored this squad. He drew tough matchups in the run and pass game and bulldozed in the run game. I mean, he was really something else, just very dominant, moved very well. And, you know, there's a reason that he's playing division one ball. But also on the offensive line, you lose All-State Honorable Mention Max Clifford, who partnered with Karras and some other seniors, you know, size-wise up front for the Panthers, who cleared plenty of lanes on a unit that ran for 2,621 yards. And before I jump into the stellar backfield, you know, passing the ball wasn't really Pomona's forte, but they still graduate all but three players who caught a pass last year, including their top five leading receivers, and six of their seven returning touchdowns. And to add insult to injury somehow, Pomona graduates four different players who attempted a pass last season, including starting man C.J. Kaler, who accounted for 455 yards and six of the team's eight touchdowns, and Noah Epley, who stepped in for snaps down the stretch of the season, who also graduated. So you're losing, like, all of your top pass catchers. You're somehow graduating more than two senior quarterbacks who saw you know some time and production so your passing game that already wasn't like a lethal threat to begin with has now taken a considerable step back and that's not even the bread and butter of their offense their run game is also going to be a little bit of a question after chase mueller who averaged 6.9 yards per carry ran for over 1200 yards and over 100 yards per game you know, multiple times he graduates and, you know, anytime Chase might be tired of his workload, there's also a change of pace back in Mesa commit Dom Nichols, who injected some serious life into this offense at times and provided monumental sparks when needed. So, 
know, despite being able to score, I'd give the defense props since the unit held opponents to 17 points per game and had plenty of dudes filling holes, shutting down receivers, and not to be confused for the class year, Junior Gonzalez led the team in tackles with 82, flew around the field with good lateral movement, and was complimented nicely by uh, Greg Mice, or Maize, and I want to say uh, D. Maize, who you know collected 17 total tackles for loss and made up two of the top four spots in tackle leaders. And you know, of the top 11 tacklers, nine were seniors, all having tackles for loss with the sole exception of Chase Mueller, who made up for it with an interception, one of the nine total that were all made up of seniors. And, you know, other guys who recorded interceptions were Mike Sierra, who had three, Isaiah Alvarez had two, and Dom Nichols also had one. Isaiah Alvarez was somebody who led the team with six pass deflections, and the secondary was especially solid in the first round, you know, like I said, with that performance, excluding the 80-yard outlier. Wow. That is a lot of talent in the secondary. That is an absurd amount of tacklers and contributors that you're losing. And then, you know, just outside the top 11 tacklers was Ty Bockhold, who more than made up for, you know, the lack of total tackles with five sacks and a team leading 12 tackles for loss through only seven games. So, yeah, it's the graduating class pounced on Pomona a little bit here, but you know, trying to find some of the bright spots here on the defensive side of the ball. They still get TJ Lindsay to headline returning playmakers. He had 54 tackles to his name and will also be accompanied by Ian Fry, who in only nine games recorded three tackles for loss and has some serious cleats to fill on the defensive side of the line. Now, not all is lost at skill positions. They do return, you know, standout sophomore from last year, Marcus Talbert Jr., who... I think he's going to be playing on both sides of the ball. He's probably going to be at safety or defensive back or maybe even linebacker in addition to taking carries out of this backfield and maybe even splitting out wide for some pass receptions. He's a balanced back who has incredible body control and speed. Earned him 69 carries as a sophomore. He broke 400 yards. And I think that he's going to see an uptick in usage rate in yards per carry in total touchdowns in maybe even, you know, receptions he might be the leading receiver of this team he's very athletic but he will have to compete a little bit with christian mccombs whose upside as a receiver is there is up there as much as anyone in the state following an offseason where he just performed very well against great competition in and out of the state and you know even though you have mccombs and marcus here talbert jr that is there's still a huge question on who could possibly get them the ball so you have two dynamic athletes on the offensive side who, you know, might be used creatively as far as maybe jet sweeps getting them the ball or, you know, maybe we see a lot of different screens, whether it's running back screens or wide receiver screens or mid screens, tunnel screens, wind screens, whatever you need, bubble screens. They're going to have to do that to move the ball on offense and get the ball in their best players hands. And so, you know, they definitely lost more than they returned. But they still have some solid athletes on both sides of the ball, and I think that they have a good staff to maximize the defense every year. It's only Coach Nate Johnson's second year under the headset, which means some game situations will probably get ironed out this year. But, you know, that being said, they do lack a quarterback, they do lack a pass game, and 
the amount of college talent that they saw depart would be a lot for any program. I think that they could easily get off to a 2-0 start here against Thomas Jefferson and Legend High School before the rest of their schedule. It just really hits the fan. They face a very, very talented 4A squad in Loveland that I think could go either way. They face another talented squad in Fountain Fort Carson who just moved up to 5A this past year. They face a Centennial League opponent in Grandview before their league of Columbine, Chatfield, Rouston Valley, Arvada West, and Pomona seriously challenges them. Um, they got a lot of coin tosses, but you know I think that Pomona's best shot to truly out outright win their league was last year, and I see them probably going two and three maybe beating Chatfield and Lakewood. It's probably what I see. And I think they have an okay chance of beating Arvada West, but maybe not Columbine and Ralston Valley. So, no, their window of wins is going to be one of the bigger ones. I could see them winning as little as four games if they beat Thomas Jefferson Legend and then Lakewood and then choose one out of, you know, Loveland, Fountain Park, Carson, and Chatfield, but they could legitimately lose all of those games. Um, you know, I think on the high end of things, they surprise everyone in the league that or outside of the league, they go four and one and then maybe pull off, you know, win against a West, Chatfield, and Lakewood. That puts them as high as seven. But I'm gonna project a five and five season for the Panthers and probably a second postseason appearance, despite them playing two four A teams. They're both very talented four A teams that I think are going to push this offense to try and do better. The last team that we're gonna be talking about here is one that I think has a very interesting future, but one that is definitely not gonna be the same as years past, you know? But before I talk about the future, let's go ahead and talk about how Ralston Valley's 2021 fall season went here. You know, they overall went nine and three, very solid year. And uh, they showed a lot of different looks on offense and found plenty of success. Um, you know, they they play close. And, uh, you know, throughout the season, the only time they lost by more than a single score was against Pomona, where they lost 17-3, which is arguably not even that bad. But they held their own throughout the season. I think that's highly evidenced by their 6-0 start, where they beat Fossil Ridge. That was a playoff team, 21-3 to start the season. They beat a team in Florida. Always good to see Colorado teams win against out-of-state competition in Freedom High School. Then they beat Loveland, which, you know, while being a 4A team, was one of the better 4A teams and, you know, is slash was a contender both last year and this year. They then beat Grandview. That's a very solid Centennial League team, 24-13. They absolutely outclassed Doherty and Mullen by scoring 93 points in those two games before losing their first game to Pomona. You know, they do drop one here going six and one. They bounce back with impressive wins against Lakewood and Columbine. You know, they beat Columbine pretty good here, 35 to 14, before losing their last game of the season to Arvada West. They then beat Cherokee Trail in the playoffs and lose the rematch against Grandview 22-16. So, you know, as far as graduating seniors go, a lot of positions were complicated by committees, and one position that maybe for better or for worse becomes a little bit more clear is quarterback since senior Zach Friedman graduates after being second in yards, TDs, and completion percentage, but leading all QBs on the roster in rushing yards and finding the end zone four times on the ground. 
You're losing Markel Collins, who was the leading scorer in the backfield, finding Pater seven times, despite only having 57 carries through nine games played. So, you know, once every eight carries, he ended up in the end zone. A little bit of a red zone specialist there. On the receiving end, you lose second leading receiver Bubba Har, who graduated in the spring after posting 315 yards in the fall. Defensively, he was also tied for fumble recoveries, collecting two out of the seven that landed in the laps in the senior class. Defensively, the steel curtain Fredericks graduates following a season that saw him get 100 tackles and six for loss at his outside backer position. And then Luke Resendez was the only other athlete on this team to get interception interceptions outside of uh, Tom, who more on that later. And then Samuel Ross was tied for tackles for loss with eight through nine games. But this team arguably has some of the best talent returning back on both sides of the ball. I think that they're going to be loaded. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting since Matt Lloyd departs to, you know, Frederick High School. It'll be it'll be different this year. You know, they, they hired a former Golden coach, Jared Yanacito. And, you know, Matt Lloyd, they, he established a prestigious postseason program making the playoffs 21 out of 22 years, but never quite reaching that state championship. So we'll see if Jared Yanisito has what it takes to push this team over that, you know, invisible wall and into that echelon of championship contenders rather than just postseason regulars. So, you know, defensively, the Mustangs have a beast at safety. In, and forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, Jason, uh, Jason Thom or Tommy or, or Tome. Um, but, you know, Jason here, he first dazzled us here at PMC during his tryouts with Team Full Gorilla, intercepting a handful of quarterbacks and showing physicality on defense that is reflected with pads on. You know, this past season as a junior, he caused three fumbles with great hits, deflected five passes, picked off QBs three times, and broke up, un, you know, like I said, broke up five passes in addition to that. And he's not afraid to end up in the scrum as well, being fourth in tackles and ranking top three in tackles for loss, recording seven from a safety position. From a safety position, he was up there. And it's only behind fellow incoming senior Eli Keith's eight, who, you know, Eli Keith himself was on a second place track with 82 tackles of the entire team, right? So both these guys bring a level of physicality and, you know, run support to to this Ralston Valley defense to try and tone that down a little bit. Uh, the other member of non-graduates in the top five of tackles is Gunnar Schopflin. Schopflin? I'm going to just butcher everyone's name today. My bad, fellas. But, you know, he had 67 tackles himself and six for loss. And between Gunnar and Eli, they led the team in sacks with five and six, respectively, while combining for another 13 13 hurries so you have guys who can get to the quarterback guys who can you know expose the gaps and you know meet the running backs in the backfield guys who can play up very aggressively guys who can you know get past the offensive line using a variety of moves just a very well-rounded you know unit up front and in the back end they'll also have plenty of options and weapons offensively They'll have incoming junior tailback uh, Benalo return after finding Pater five times last season and reaching a half K worth of yards while also showing hands for another 259 yards on a team leading 30 receptions and team leading four receiving touchdowns. As far as 
true receivers go. Uh, Brayden Schatz stood 100 yards above everyone else last year with a team leading 437 and three scores. And overall, he's one of three receivers from the top four last year, making a return following uh, season. And, you know, Rouston Valley, oh, woe is me, right? They have a rare problem of two solid quarterbacks and deciding who their guy is. Last season, James Woshner led the team in yards and completed 56% of his passes. But even though he led in yards, he was less efficient than sophomore Logan Madden, who completed 65% of his passes and threw seven scores to only two INTs. Now, I, I didn't look through the box score of every single game, so I'm not sure if these came in garbage time or if these were in very clutch situations or necessarily what that looks like. But I do know that in the postseason, you know, including that win against Cherokee Trail where, you know, one of our PMC guys was like, hey, they came out throwing the ball. It was, you know, Logan Madden who threw four touchdowns that game and posted an absurd QBR of 164.4, outdueling a senior quarterback and an established program in Logan Brook. But then I also know that, you know, in the playoff game that they did lose, that, you know, Logan Madden at least went 9 of 15 for 87 yards, and James Woshner completed less than 50% of his passes. And they opted more to run the ball in this game against Grandview. Obviously, that Grandview secondary was absurd, right? So not going to hold either of those against them. But if I'm going based off of what happened in the postseason, I'd assume that Logan Madden is your guy here, but I think that splitting snaps is just a little bit wonky uh, all in all. But, you know, let's go ahead and assume that, you know, the Mustangs rest easy, knowing that they have two years of good QB play, and they do have Coach Giannisito, who worked with uh, Giselle Riley last year and helped his breakout season. So we could see a massive season out of one of these two quarterbacks. And Ralston Valley, you know, this upcoming year, they are using the mentality, in order to be the best, you gotta beat the best. And at the bare minimum, Ralston Valley is playing the best. To start the season, they face off against Cherry Creek before traveling to Orlando to play Colonial High School. Then they have more road games that aren't as far as Florida, but does include Grandview, Regis Jesuit, and Valor Christian, all of which are going to be playoff teams. So they're facing all playoff teams to start. I think that looking at non-league play, I, if I was Rouston Valley, I'd be happy with two and three. I think that they could probably beat Colonial High School in Florida. And then I think they snatch one of those three games against Grandview Regis and Valor. If they snatch two of those, that would be really sweet. And if they can go four and one, I think that four and one is still possible. But you could already see a huge window of wins in just the non-league play alone where, you know, it's like they could beat Colonial, they could beat Grandview, they could beat Regis, and I think that there's a realm where they can beat Valor Christian, depending on where they're at at that point in the season. But talent-wise, I think they're up there with everyone that isn't named Cree. So, high end of 4-1 and one here. Then you look at league play here, and I think that ah, the, the league play is tough. Once again, you know, you got Lakewood, Columbine, Pomona, Chatfield, Arvada West. All of these teams are going to push you. It's really give and take with a lot of these teams. And, you know, I think that the only team that'll really 
they're the only team that could really contest Columbine in league, but I think that they still probably finish second in league at four and one. This makes the Mustang ceiling eight and two, but the lowest number of wins they could they could get away with, or the lowest number of wins that they could possibly have is five. So that puts a wow of five to eight, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that they win six to seven games here. And, you know, I'm just going to get my popcorn ready and see what they do. I love to see them spread it out and throw it around the yard and, you know, progress as a program and, you know, maybe turn a philosophical corner that will yield better postseason results potentially with this new staff. As for the second half of this episode, we're going to be talking about the 5A Centennial League. And we are going to start off with none other than my alma mater, Arapahoe High School. Last year, the Warriors had their best season since my junior year, where they went undefeated. Uh, this season, they went 9-3, and three, including a 4-1 and one record in the Centennial League. But it was definitely a confusing season. You know, they had a high of beating Cherry Creek at home 13 to 10 and being the only school in state to beat Creek in a couple of years. But they also had the low light of, you know, getting kind of thumped by Grandview with the Centennial League crown on the line and losing to Mountain Vista at home. It was a very interesting season that at times left us here at PMC too stunned to speak. But let's go ahead and talk about some of the graduating seniors from this very successful squad. And I think that, you know, the defensive line has a serious graduation slash departing talent problem. Two members of our top edge rushers list leave with Jackson Adams joining Air Force football and Jared Ramos being a Montana Grizzly. These dudes wreaked havoc on opposing backfields the past couple of years and both made first team All-State on their way to over double digit combined sacks, a couple dozen hurries, and plenty of tackles in the backfield through combinations of strength, leverage, blazing speed, especially Adams, and bags of pass rushing moves to be in the QB's face. This squad not only loses two great edge rushers who could be stacked or rushed from opposite sides, but they lose tons of depth up the middle. They lose Bo Doughty, who is a stud and force in the middle, eating up ball carriers and whole rushing lanes, and, you know, Colin Farquhar as well. Uh, both these guys were D2 defensive linemen anchoring the middle with D1 edge rushers. And that's a great formula for absolutely halting a Cherry Creek offense. It'd also be a bit of a shame to not mention the depth they had as Josh Kelly was another big body who was hard to move at the line of scrimmage. And uh, lastly, this isn't a graduate, but star sophomore defensive tackle Exodus Johnson recently moved and won't be playing at Arapahoe High School, which loses the potential of the second coming of Jared Ramos with technique and strength to play anywhere on the defensive line. Moving beyond the line, Jack Weiler was a do-it-all linebacker at Arapaho who led the team in tackles and interceptions, including the game-winning pick six against Cherry Creek. He was a clutch playmaker whose leadership and IQ will be missed in filling the few rushing lanes left open by the D1 defensive line. In the secondary, the Warriors lose Pyrese Miller, whose athleticism could turn nothing into something, but while losing him on defense hurts, I think that the loss of his big playability on offense hurts way more, and if you combine that with the complimentary back DJ Montoya's graduation, the Warriors lose plenty of big names out of the backfield this past season. Opening holes for the backfield 
included Brandon McGowan, whose second-team All-State appearance was his second appearance on such a list and complemented his offensive MVP, helping this rush game move the chains and getting, giving his quarterback plenty of time to throw, uh, sometimes maybe even too much to throw. And, you know, at the quarterback position, they do graduate Cole Hansen, who was the QB for the Warriors, and I'd state it's not a big loss, but I just don't know who they have in the wings next, and at least Hansen was experienced. And then last but not least, the squad saw head coach Joe Nau retire this past season, which makes new coach Tyler Brayton, who I'm pretty sure is a former NFL guy, Arapo's fourth coach in the past five years. They've managed to win games, but some stability for this program would go a long way. As far as returning playmakers go, the only member from the All-State list making his return is Alonzo Ramirez, who made honorable mention, but he's someone who still has a lot of work to do, in my opinion. He improved from his atrocious showing against Mountain Vista, but needs more awareness for the ball as the Centennial League receivers will test him harshly. Sterling DeCosta returns to the defense after being second on the team in tackles from his safety position and being a solid athlete with good enough instincts, uh, but he has to be more cognizant of matchups to help his teammates out. And then I'm going to assume that this is Colin's younger brother, Thomas Farquhar, returns after being top three tackler on the squad and being versatile enough to notch pass deflections, forcing completions through hits, and notch turnovers. In a summer training camp video, it also looks like he was receiving a carry, so maybe we will see some of him as on offense. You also have uh, Pershawn Miller, who's a great athlete with burst of a next-level player who may see an uptick of touches on the offensive side himself while drawing some tougher assignments defensively. And then incoming junior Charlie Eckhart is a stud when it comes to adjusting to the ball and climbing the staircase to win jump ball situations. He's also just very physical and strong where they give him wildcat snaps and he scores touchdowns. And, you know, as a defensive back, his instincts took him straight to the ball in zone coverage and his size or strength makes him very hard to be vertically and impossible for most receivers to block in the run game. I also want to say that Benjamin Brown was a freshman who saw snaps on varsity last season on the offensive line. And the last guy I remember doing that was Blake Corrett, who played D1 football at Air Force uh, at the end of his high school career. So that could potentially be a big-time player. Not to mention they also have a six foot eight class of 2024 tackle on the depth chart and plenty of size in underclassmen. So all that being said, they are returning talent up front on the offensive line, and they do have some athletes mainly in the secondary so looking ahead at this season for Rapaho, I think that they take a step back. And so, you know, they open up the season at home against Legacy. Honestly, I think that this could go either way as both teams graduated plenty of talent from last year, but then they have a game against Heritage High School. This should be one that they should win. I still think that they're a little bit ahead of them, but we'll see about that. Then they have games against Regis, Columbine, and Rock Canyon to close out non-league. I think that they probably lose all those games. So you're looking at best case scenario, two and three heading into league before I think that they're just not as good in league this year. I think that they lose to Grandview again. I think that they lose to Cherry Creek. I'm pretty sure that Eagle Crest can probably beat them this year because I think Eagle Crest is going to take a step forward. And I'd also look out for Smoky Hill, who I think is another good squad. So you're looking at a potential one and four record with a high end of still three and two. So... I, this may come off a little bit harsh, 
But I mean, I think that the window of wins for Rappo is as low as as low as three and maybe as high as five. I think that this team's going to struggle this year. I think that they're probably going to go four and six, and I don't know if they make the postseason this year. And if they do, I'd be very surprised at the kind of run that they could potentially make. There's just a lot of unproven talent at very key positions, and I don't think that the defense is as good this year to make up for an offense that was already lacking last year and has like no contributors returning. Um, the offense has been quite underwhelming, so we'll see if the offense can get something figured out. But until then, I am not going to bank on this Warriors team picking it up out of nowhere this upcoming season. The next team we're going to talk about is another playoff team out of the Centennial League. This will be a reoccurring theme for the most part as we talk about the Cherokee Trail Cougars who either won games or kind of got blown out of the water. In games they won, they almost always won by more than a single score other than one time against Smoky Hill. But anytime they lost, it was definitely by more than a score and a lot of the time more than even two scores with the sole exception. No, no, they, they only lost big. Um, but they coasted through a non-league schedule that didn't really pose a lot of challenges, beating Mullen 35-24, losing to Columbine 52-21, before beating Far Northeast, Overland, and Denver East to close out non-league play at 4-1, before getting into league and only going 2-3. This included losses to Creek and Rappo back-to-back, where they allowed over 40 points to both those teams, before beating Smoky Hill by a single score and then losing to Grandview and then beating Eagle Crest before making it to the playoffs where they beat Fossil Ridge. They out-tossed this team 41-29 and then lost to Ralston Valley 42-20 in the second round. And so there are a lot of graduating seniors on this squad as well, and it starts with three-star offensive lineman and number five senior offensive tackle of our 2022 class, and Travis Gray, who takes his absurd statue and stature and athleticism to CU Boulder this season, leaving one of the most massive holes in a position in the entire state, both in the physically imposing way and in the emotional and sound football player kind of way, uh, who for the most part had his way with lots of defensive linemen in the state. You also have another D1 talent graduate from this D from this team in Jack Pierce, whose volume of receptions paced the state, breaking 100 receptions, and was a security and consistent chain mover for the Cougars this past year on offense. He's now going to do his thing at UNC. You also lose defensive stalwart uh, Jackson Gridley, who graduates after leading the team in sacks and notching plenty of tackles for loss this last season. The secondary is not what it once was, as they send interception leader and track star Michael Hemingway to CSU Pueblo, which not only loses them the numbers, but at six foot two loses some pretty rare size at the cornerback position. And then on the opposite end was, you know, a more traditional corner who is really speedy, breaking up 12 passes and notching some interceptions in Evan Harrell, who combined with Hemingway made for one of the better secondaries in all of Colorado football in the pass game. And, you know, speaking of pass game, Cherokee trail out a pass game of their own. Uh, senior Logan Brook tossed over 3000 yards and over 30 touchdowns. And I think that scheme considered and some of the talent they'll continue to have at skill positions that Brooke is one of the easier pieces to replace. But running back is a position that loses a lot of snaps and yards as two seniors spearheaded this operation with Ciaran Hyslop and Nate Gay 
who both notched at least 700 yards and hovered in the window of five yards per carry with plenty of 100-yard performances between the two of them. Now, they do still have some talent coming back. They get the top three leading tacklers from last season, including Caleb Davis, who matched up with slot receivers and made a lot of tackles in the run game to the tune of 101 total tackles. And, you know, his hip fluidity is what lands him at the safety position, but his IQ is what allows him to play in the box and backfield so much. You also get back Ellis Williams, who at outside backer was relentlessly uh, in pursuit and constantly in the backfield as he was asked to rush standing up and also had his hand in the dirt a handful of times. And, you know, in this upcoming season, he should be aiming for double-digit sacks and tackles for loss. I think that he could be on the high end there. And then you're also getting Caden Porter, who rounded out the top tacklers in only six recorded games, averaging 9.2 tackles per game and finding himself making plenty of contact at the line of scrimmage. And then lastly, you have receiver Noah Greer, who may continue to frustrate defensive backs, who honestly play very physical and solid defense against him, but with his focus and hand strength, was still able to make lots of contested catches and reach a half K worth of yards this past season, even against some solid corners in the Centennial League. And so speaking of Centennial League, let's go ahead and take a look at this schedule here. They open up the year against Chatfield, who, you know, is coming off of a 4A state win. And, you know, I think that this game could kind of go either way. Um, following that, they play Rocky Mountain. Now, without knowing who the quarterback is or what that looks like, I'm going to project Rocky Mountain to win this game. And then I'm also going to project Columbine to win. I think that they bounce back with a win against Fort Collins before their last non-league game against Castleview. Castleview is returning a lot more players than Cherokee Trail. So heading into the break here, they're, I'm going to say that they're two and three overall before heading into league play where I just think that they are outclassed by basically everyone here. Maybe they can, the Arapahoe game is really a coin toss and maybe they could beat Smoky Hill, but you're looking at best, at best this team wins probably four games but the low end of this window of wins, they win two. So, you know, I think that this is probably going to be a step back for Cherokee Trail this year. They obviously have like one of the biggest talent pools in the entire state of Colorado. They have plenty of depth. They're a huge, massive school. But I just feel like a lot of these teams are just returning way more experience other than like Fort Collins where, you know, it's really hard to defend the Cougars heading into this season, who will have so many new faces, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm going to say window wins of two to four, but I'm going to near the four win record for Cherokee Trail at four and six. Now, in my opinion, this is where the fun begins here in the Centennial League. And, you know, it comes from a surprising place to some, Eagle Crest here last year was a mind-bogglingly bad year for Eagle Crest. It was their first losing season since 2015 and their lowest number of wins since Max Preps tracked their seasons heading back to 2004. Having only won a game against Overland and going winless in the Centennial League, Overland has never lost or has never won less than two games up until this year. And, you know, they're not one to remain in the basement, and I'd be surprised 
uh, for historical and talent reasons if they find themselves on the outside of the postseason looking in two years in a row. Now, that's not to say that they're not graduating some talent. You know, in the trenches, they lose lead pass rusher Mason Harris, who graduated following a year with four sacks, fueled by a quick first step off the line and beat tackles pretty often with overwhelming speed. They're also losing two power five tackles in Braden Miller and Caden Weatherby, who are going to Michigan State and Texas Tech, I want to say, respectively. And, you know, Braden Miller was also a first-team All-State, and that leaves both edges of this line potentially vulnerable heading into the season. But, you know, losing some serious talent on the offensive line as well as the defensive line, I think that it's also tough that you're losing three of the top four tacklers headlined by Aaron Frimpong, who had a tackle for loss for every a tenth of the time uh, with seven. He was the team leader in that category. And then he was quickly followed by Jake DeFusco and Sinai Ruiz. Uh, Ruiz and Frimpong were also the only seniors to record interceptions in the 2021 season. And last but not least, Hunter Bayard or Baird was another loss after notching 30 tackles last season. And, you know, he combined with another defensive lineman in Hall were two, you know, solid playmakers in the run game ending up in the backfield five total times. But, you know, the Raptors were a pretty young team last year, so there's plenty of talent returning, including lead pass defender and safety, Cam Worm Chapa, who led the team in interceptions and pass deflections as only a sophomore with four and seven respectively, while also leading the team in tackles at 72. It's not a great thing when your free safety leads in tackles because it means ball carriers are making it that far down the field, but at least you have a really good last line of defense who only enters his junior year. All in all, five of the top 11 tacklers return. Uh, you have Zach Mueller and a couple of other incoming seniors that utilized good angles last year to make some tackles downfield, but need to be more instinctive to meet the ball carriers rather than catch them. Last year as a sophomore, Corey Jackson was fifth on the team in tackles and even ended up in the backfield once. And he had multiple pass deflections in the pass game. So I think that he'll be a more well-rounded corner by year's end since he's able to play the run so well. And, you know, with an entire offseason of work and an experienced season at the varsity level. But really, really, I am looking big time here at, you know, this trio on the offensive side of the ball. Headlined by athlete Diego Cerns, who, you know, will cause concerns for defenses following a season that saw him account for over 1,600 scrimmage yards. He has insane speed and body control that required multiple defenders to tackle him. And, you know, Eagle Crest, they have a reputation that all of always just having a transcendent athlete and one of the best ones in the entire state. And Diego is that guy. Uh, not only was he that last year, but he especially is this year. He's somebody who has, you know, great footwork, cuts come really easily to him. And in addition to that, he can catch out of the backfield. And, you know, in this offseason, he's also gotten some work as a secondary player. So his versatility might find its way on all sides of the ball, special teams, offense, defense, where he has potential to score a touchdown in every single facet of the game that way. So, you know, you have... A generational athlete here in Diego Cerns, and I think a D1 talent here, uh, toning the rock for you. Then, you know, a year after a wideout named Ty graduated, 
There's another tie in Tyson Clark, who led the team in receptions and yards at 45 and 469. Tyson and Diego make up th two of three receivers who return. And, you know, not a single receiving touchdown is graduating, which spells good news for returning quarterback Jared Fisher. Now, Fisher was a perplexing prospect to look at. I watched his film, looked through the numbers, did all the research that I possibly could on this guy. And, you know, he struggled this season throwing more INTs than TDs, but he has the ability to push the ball downfield. He has a quick release, and, you know, I think that part of that comes from the very talented defensive lines that Eagle Crest had to face this year. But he can also kind of run. Um, he just needs to work on his vision a little bit. He didn't have a high yards per carry, and sometimes when he's looking to run, he can get caught up in the backfield. But at six foot two, 225 pounds, that's a great size for a quarterback. He can fall forward when making contact with the defense. And, you know, he has major potential to take a step forward as long as he addressed his timing and ball placement this offseason. Looking through his film, you know, his ball placement would make receivers have to turn around or slow down to catch the ball sometimes. Or it was just in so much traffic that it was unnecessarily risky, which would lead to a lot of those interceptions. So cutting back on interceptions and, you know, the majority of teams in the Centennial League losing talent up front could spell success for Jared Fisher and this Eagle Crest squad that, you know, I think just had an uncharacteristic season last year and were just frightfully young. So looking ahead to this season, they start off with a very telling game, I want to say, against Mullen. This is going to be on the 19th. So that's one to watch to just see how both these teams do. I think that Eagle Crest can win this game. And then they face a couple more teams from that 5A front range in Brighton and Horizon. Those are both games that I think are very winnable. Maybe you lose to Horizon, but not so sure on that. Then they have a game against Highlands Ranch. So I'm thinking at worst, this team is 3-1 before losing to Rocky Mountain. And then they also face a Lakewood team. That is... Two, four, six. Play six non-league games, huh? And they're scheduled to play five league games. Interesting. So big, big schedule here for Eagle Crest so far. We'll see if it remains true and accurate. But you know, after league play, I think that four and two isn't too much to ask for. I think you should beat Mullen. You should probably beat Brighton, who just moved up to 5A this year, Highlands Ranch and Lakewood. And then I'll give you some leeway on beating Horizon um, or losing to Horizon, but maybe that's one you should still win. I'm going to project 5-1, and one, honestly, heading into league, showing incredible bounce-back ability and ripping off monster plays, only losing to a Rocky Mountain team that I think is just a little bit more stout up front. I also think that, you know, once you head into league, that you've got to just perform a lot better this year. Well, anything's better than own five. I think that they beat Arapaho and Cherokee Trail this year. I think that their game against Smoky Hill might be a bit of a toss-up, but I'm going to favor Eagle Crest. And I think that they have a way more competitive game against Grandview this season. But ultimately, you know, say they go three and two in league and five and one outside of league, an eight and three record is incredible improvement. Way more on brand for what Eagle Crest is as a program, I want to say. And then, you know, on the low end of wins, I still think that they probably win six games. I mean, 
I, I just don't see them losing to Highlands Ranch or Lakewood or Arapaho this year. I can't really even see them losing to Cherokee Trail. So you got four wins there, and they can easily pick up two more wins between Mullen, Horizon, and Brighton. So, you know, I think that a window of wins of six to eight is really fair for Eagle Crest. They're in no way poised to go undefeated, and I still don't think that they're as talented defensively as maybe a Grandview or a Cherry Creek, but I still think that this is going to be a significantly improved year for the Raptors out of uh, that Aurora Centennial blurry county line here. Now, as for the Grand U Wolves, you know, their start to the season was an insane one point win over Pomona that ended on a game winning drive and I think was reflective of the emotions and, and craziness of things to come. They'd start off 3-0, beating Vista and Overland after that before dropping one to Ralston Valley. Then they'd win another two games, including their very first league game against Smoky Hill, before dropping a one-score game, an eight-point loss to Cherry Creek that was highly competitive. And then they would go undefeated the rest of the regular season in league, beating Eagle Crest, Cherokee Trail, and Arapahoe at home to cause you know a three-way tie at the top of the Centennial League and punch their ticket to the playoffs, where they would then have a first-round bye and beat Mullen. Once Mullen made it to the second round, they would avenge their loss against Ralston Valley before faltering to Valor Christian High School. I believe this was in the Final Four, and an uncharacteristic 37-6 loss that was a little bit disappointing, but, you know, all in all, I'd still chalk it up as a successful season. But, man, did they have a lot of seniors that contributed to that. The defense is going to have major holes after five secondary seniors, or I should say top five members of the secondary for our senior class list in Malik Singleton, pack his things for Wyoming, and number one senior quarterback cornerback of our top five list, Caden Rulo, went south to CSU Pueblo. These two playmakers were capable of scoring at will on defense and provided so much versatility in the secondary that, you know, play calling for this defense will be impossible to replace. Uh, the impacts of these guys was, you know, historic in, in ways that, you know, Malik led the team in tackles, right? Which is just bizarre and also paced the team in interceptions with five. Keita Rulo was somebody who was like a lockdown cornerback, a great combination of size, speed, and technique, who could also play absurdly well in the run game, and even forced a fumble and picked it up and scored in the Arapaho game to ice the regular season, right? So you're riding all these waves, all these big momentum shifts, and, you know, all the other players' jobs on this defense are made, significant easy, made significantly easier by these guys. As far as pass defense goes, they also lose senior Marcus Williams, who is second on the squad with six pass deflections and had an interception to go hand-in-hand hand with that. And overall, Grandview loses 11 of their 13 interceptions to graduation. Like I said, uh, those previous three players, they combined for eight, and Malik actually had six, not five, so he had six. And that doesn't even include Lipholds to uh, two. They're also losing second-leading tackler, for loss stud James Mardrum, who graduates after posting seven tackles for loss and was also in the top five of tackles with 66 and plenty of assisted tackles here. 
and the skill positions will almost need a full reload on offense since leading receiver, track star, special teams playmaker Evan Johnson graduated following a season with 583 receiving yards and another 500 yards on punt and kick returns with a few scores to his name and blazing speed that he's taking to, I want to say, CSU Pueblo. And not to be outshined, uh, Tristan Burris only caught two less yards than Evan and was the leader on kickoff return, accounting for 368 yards and only being 23 yards from the 1K club. These two accounted for so many scrimmage yards and are just two of the top three receivers who are in the class of 2022 since Charlie Dick caught just as many scores in three touchdowns as these guys, but chipped in, you know, just 300 receiving yards of his own. Lastly, in very limited action in the backfield, Jonathan Brodus still rushed for five touchdowns, which was tied for third and was behind the lead back, Musa Al-Safar, who broke a thousand yards, scored nine times out of the backfield, and combined with Brodus and Charlie Dix rushing touchdowns, departs with half of Grandview's 30 rushing touchdowns last season. Woof. Get it? Like, like the Wolves? Anywho, um, it's not time to sound the alarm, though, on this Grandview team who's still going to be good. They're still going to be in the postseason this year. And I'm going to start with some of the things that are returning to the defensive side of the ball. They do get back leading tackler Max Kibbe, who returns after, you know, 102 tackles last year. And in addition, you know, the defense returns Dynamo middle linebacker Preston Emkin, who flew from sideline to sideline while laying some serious wood at the point of contact and possessing speed to chase down quarterbacks, make plays in pass coverage as well, since he broke up four passes this past season, whether he was lined up against tight ends, running backs, or even receivers. So two very athletic guys here that can fly around the field. And then, you know, the Wakalanji family continues to be integral to Grandview defenses. Uh, only a couple of years ago did the first one go to CSU, and now Malumba enters his senior year terrorizing quarterbacks and leading the team in sacks and tackles for loss. They were both at Crazy 8. Combine that with sophomore Nkongolo Wakalanji, who is second on the squad with five sacks and both being in the top 11 tacklers. I think that both of them have showed higher upside than the eldest brother, which spells great success for this front seven at Grandview. And I think it, the front seven actually, I think is going to be better than the front seven of last year, which is kind of crazy to say, but you know, hopefully with that front seven taking a huge step forward, it makes the losses in the secondary not sting as much. Offensively, they do still have running backs in the wings since last year. As a junior in limited snaps, Chase Dahir still averaged over five yards per carry and found Pater five times to, you know, have a small patch to the Musa replacement question. But the biggest returner is class of 2024 QB, Liam Zarka, who put the state on notice with his game-winning drive in week one against Pomona and followed it up with a solid season running the ball for 500 yards and 10 scores, including a massive 81-yard run showcasing his speed and the extra gear that he has. So, you know, he can take not necessarily the top off a of defense, but if you guys are falling asleep in the middle, he will just split the defenders and go right up the middle. He reaches that sideline. He's going to be hard to catch. He has an incredible amount of speed to him. But don't confuse him for just an athlete and not a quarterback. 
He threw 14 touchdowns and almost 2,000 yards. And if he can rein in his accuracy a bit, since it was just a hair below 55%, and dot teams up a bit more methodically, he could see a state title game this season. I really think that of this Grandview squad. Not to mention, they also get a tight end in Simon Kibbe, uh, who's the only major pass catcher returning, but in only half their games last season, notched 121 yards and will be a big body target in the red zone. And I don't want to go too much further on this Grandview team without mentioning just how beefy they are going to be on this, you know, line up front. Now, I they are still losing a little bit of talent in the trenches since they do see um they do see a senior graduate, but they do get Zachary Henning back. He was a junior last year and an all-state honorable mention. And just looking through the roster here, they have some absurd size. Caden Bird is a incoming senior who is a listed at tackle, at least on this roster, at six foot five, three hundred pounds. They also have Wyatt Walters, who's a senior listed at tackle and guard, who's a senior six foot five, two hundred and ninety pounds. So you have two just huge playmakers here. You have Ethan Arlt, who as a senior is listed at six foot three, two hundred and thirty-six pounds on the defensive end side. So I really think that there's some solid there's at least solid size coming to this line this upcoming season that I think can be majorly impactful for the Wolves and provide some more rushing lanes for a new running back, right? So, you know, that's kind of this Grandview team, who they lost. Obviously, you're not going to be able to replace those guys in the secondary, but it does help that your front seven is still going to be a force to be reckoned with, and you still have, you know, viable playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. So looking ahead to their schedule, they start off on the road against Overland. This is a win. Then their next game is against Fossil Ridge. Now, I think Fossil Ridge is going to be able to score a little bit more through the air than maybe a matchup would have last year. Like, they're not going to be completely suffocated, but I still think that they win this game against Fossil Ridge. This game against Rouston Valley, it is a toss-up, but I think I gave the edge to Rouston Valley in my overall prediction. So I'm going to say that they go 2-1 here before beating Fruita Monument and Pomona heading into league play. So I think that 4-1 is pretty reasonable. Honestly, low end of 3-2. I don't think that they should be any less than 3-2 heading into league play where they face Eagle Crest. Like I said, this is a coin toss, but I gave Grandview the edge in the Eagle Crest segment, so I'm going to hold that true. I think that they beat Arapahoe. I think that they beat Smoky Hill and Cherokee Trail before I think that they lose the last game of the season and overall the Centennial League title to Cherry Creek, and I'll elaborate on that in a bit. But that puts the window of wins for this squad. Let's say even if they lose to Eagle Crest and they go 3-2 and two, both in and out of league, that puts the window of wins as low as six, which is still a winning season, and as high as eight, I want to say. So window of wins of six to eight for the Grandview Wolves and a, another playoff appearance. And depending on, you know, what who steps up in both the secondary as well as on the offensive side of the ball, catching passes, this could be a Final Four team again this year. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about them in games, I want to say primarily against Ralston Valley, 
as well as Cherry Creek. I think that those will be the two most telling games as far as how close is Grandview to making it to a state title this season. Now for the team in the Centennial League that just squeaked into the playoffs and didn't quite finish last was the Smoky Hill Buffaloes who, you know, went weathered a brutal schedule to make the postseason and then losing one of the highest scoring thrillers of the 2021 season. So, you know, they definitely put some people on notice here, winning their first two games, scoring 47 points in both of them, including a surprising 47-7 win over Windermere in Florida that had me take a closer look at this team before they then dropped two consecutive two contenders in Legend and Regis Jesuit. They then pulled off what I will call an upset over Pomona, 28-27, and then they were in league play where they went 1-4. and four. I think that if you run this back, they could have beaten this Cherokee Trail team. That could have gone a little bit differently. But even then, they would have been at best 5-5. Five and five. They go 4-6 and six this season and then lose to Rock Canyon after scoring 49 points. They let Rock Canyon score 52 to lose this game. Now, one of the biggest playmakers from that game specifically and one of the biggest losses for this Buffalo squad is one of the best athletes in all of Colorado sports last year and six foot five Anthony Harris Jr., who in his last effort football game caught four touchdowns and over 200 yards to cap a brilliant season that just saw him be bigger, stronger, taller, and more athletic than any defensive back covering him. And you know, this same dude pulled off an insane dunk that was a nine news candidate for play of the year. And you know, his Absurd athletic potential and upside will no longer be on the Smoky Hill sideline, which has got to hurt. They're also losing 1,200 rushing yards that graduated this past year with lead backs Marvin Jones and Jonathan Potts, uh, since they were the only backs to reach the century mark this season running the football. They also see the loss of Haywood in the backfield, who broke, you know, uh, 100 yards all season and found Pater once for a total of 13 rushing scores that is going out the window. And then one of the considerations for top five linebacker safety slash edge list was versatile defensive player Max Zeiger, who despite being a little undersized, flew around the field and stuffed the stat sheet with five sacks, 21 tackles for loss, 88 tackles on the season, and forcing a fumble. Second leading tackler Malik Daniels also graduates following an 80-plus tackle season on his resume. But, you know... They are losing some seriously good players there, but no need to fear. In the front seven, they do have some serious talent coming back. I'm looking at sophomore from last year, Zach Brophy, who went ballistic this past season, utilizing a violent burst and form tackling to be fourth on the team in tackles and notch 14 in the backfield while leading the team in sacks and forcing an incredible four fumbles this past season. Joining Brophy in opposing offenses backfields will be two seniors in Tristan Littlejohn, who is third on the team in tackles for loss with 16, as well as Amir Copeland, who is the leader in tackles for loss amongst all returners with 17, and Withers Grimble, who collected 17. Add that up, that is, that's so many tackles for loss and just so much destruction returning to this defense that I think the run defense should be very exciting this year. And, you know, with the movement that they present, might confuse some new faces in the Centennial League that are not only under center, but also lining up on the line. Outside of Malik and Max, the next nine leading tacklers all return with familiar faces on all levels of the defense. So Smokey Hill 
is going to be a way tougher out for all of their Centennial League opponents this year, for sure. Behind a stellar defense, first and foremost. But that's not to say that the offense won't have big play capability, since they will be returning a familiar face in Tyleek Bowers under center, who is responsible for 20 touchdowns last year, throwing 11 and rushing for, you know, uh, another nine, I want to say. Uh, he's got impressive arm strength and velocity. But, you know, I think that one of the problems that he had was he got a little too comfortable with the catch radius of some of his receivers, uh, namely Anthony Harris. And I think if the line doesn't have to block for so long with all their I-form play actions and dropbacks, he can spend more time on his reads. And that bodes well for Smokey Hill and their record this season. Blocking for Tyleek this season is going to be class of 2025 lineman Bailey Buhanda, who made the honorable mention list in the Centennial League, which would be good for first team in most other leagues, honestly. And, you know, returning any and all linemen will be critical for a Smokey Hill team that wants to continue to run the ball, but, you know, could be more balanced throwing the ball this year. And though they did graduate Harris on the receiving end, two incoming seniors were not too shabby themselves as Jamahill Humphrey and Dixon Jr. Uh, combined for over 500 yards and six scores with a pretty limited number of targets. And so, you know, those targets will go up. They'll diversify a little bit more this season. And we could see an uptick in production. If you throw in some RPO bubble screen laterals too, that suddenly makes this offense very versatile, very deadly, and very hard to keep track of. And so, you know, looking ahead to their season this year, they start off on a Saturday against Denver East. I think that this is a win for the Smoky Hill team before they kind of have a toss-up against this Rock Canyon team. But I think that the defense is going to be way better and that they win this rematch. I think that they beat Overland. I don't think that they beat Palmer Ridge, despite them being a 4A school. Palmer Ridge is one of the best programs in this entire state, in my opinion. So they probably lose that. And then beat Highlands Ranch. So that puts them at 4-1, heading into league play. Like I said, I already have them favored over Arapahoe High School. That puts them at 5-1 before facing Cherry Creek, Grandview, and Eagle Crest. Even if you drop all three of these, which I do think they probably do, and end up going 5-4, and four, they can still beat Cherokee Trail and end with a winning record this season at 6-4, and four, you know, and show that, you know, they could be a winning team, and I think that they end up winning a playoff game too, depending on who they draw. I just have a lot of faith in this defense and this offense that can move the ball. I think that this is one of the more balanced teams that Smokey Hill has been able to put together over the past few years. And so I'm going to be maybe a little too optimistic, but I think that the optimism is warranted. They've shown creativity on all sides of the ball the past few years, and I think that they have the talent to really expand their horizons and be a true, you know, a true team to be taken a little bit more seriously. And I think that, you know, those Grandview, Cherry Creek, and Eagle Crest games, I think that those are decided within... I don't think any more than 17 points, which would show improvement from the past couple of years for the Buffaloes and give them plenty of reasons to be excited for maybe a playoff win. And everyone, before we get all up in arms, don't think that I forgot about the 5A back-to-back -back state defending champions, Cherry Creek Bruins, who last year, they won state again. You know, there were some notable moments last year. Uh, they lost for the first time in a while when they went to Chandler. 
Arizona to face one of the best teams. I think they're a top 30 team in the nation. And they narrowly lost while showing youth that they had that was maybe going against them initially before wiping the floor with most of their schedule. I mean, their closest win of the season was a 21-13 win over Grandview. So their closest game was eight points that they won. They did get upset at LPS Stadium when Arapo beat them 13-10, but then there was no looking back. I think that kind of ticked them off, and they just tore through the rest of the schedule. They beat Eagle Crest and Smoky Hill to finish league and regular season play 41-14, 35-10, before blanking Mountain Vista in the playoffs as the second seed after a bye, 34-0. They then beat Regis better than they... Uh, eh, arguably better than they initially did, 28-7. to They... Uh, they blocked up this Parker offense that was, you know, very dangerous and legend, beating them 48-14. And then they blanked Valor Christian and the top recruit in Colorado High School football, 21-0 for the second year in a row, but this time it was at mile high. So, you know, they're easily the favorites to win state again this year. And, you know, before I talk about reasons why returning talent-wise, I'm going to give kudos to the graduating seniors that includes, you know, one of the top prospects from last year. I think he was actually rated number two on 24-7, George Fitzpatrick, who is, you know, one of our top-rated offensive linemen in the senior class and in general was regarded as one of the best linemen in the country. Uh, he'll be doing his thing at Ohio State. And, you know, following a solid season on the offensive side of the ball, Creek got creative and put him right at nose tackle for the Legend and Valor games where he just ate up a substantial amount of space and allowed for the normal D lineman to face you know, go from double teams to facing one-on-one -on -one matchups. So great coaching adjustment and, you know, a big body presence that will be missed following, you know, showing that he could do it all for this team and just disrupting the flow of these teams that were pretty blindsided from what I heard by his presence in the middle there. They also lose a CSU Ram commit in Kaya Ode Jr., who was solid this past season, leading the Bruins in receiving scores with seven and using his burners to gash teams both at wideout and on special teams. He was also a playoff riser that, you know, in the postseason had some of his best games against the likes of Legend and Regis Jesuit, both catching the ball as well as returning the ball. So you lose an incredible athlete track star there. Uh, defensively, the unit was fairly young, but lose championship contributors in Henry Lamar and Tyler Tolbert, who on the season had 172 combined tackles with, you know, Henry Lamar reaching the century mark and forcing five turnovers through a combination of forced fumbles and interceptions. They also lose someone in the secondary, Sam Pezdertz, who makes his way to Missouri Western following a season that break up, saw him broke up nine passes and intercept a pass as well. Caleb Peria was a nice addition last year who made this defensive line group so deep and consistent consistently fresh with his aggressive style of play and after winning a ring is now on to college ball and this isn't a graduate and i'm not positive on this but i've heard some rumblings that christian hammond won't be returning under center for this cherry creek squad after winning state as a junior last year uh he was solid much like his older brother julian hammond was but like the rest of the hammonds is a basketball player at heart and has spoken on potentially not playing this football this year, leaving a competition at the QB spot. Lastly, as far as big contributors here, uh, they lose second-leading rusher Halls, uh, who 
posted 8.8 yards per carry and scored seven times in only seven games played this year. But, you know, it's easier to talk about who isn't coming back than it is to talk about who is coming back to the Bruins. Because, I mean, it's spearheaded easily by the leading tackler and class of 2024 standout, Angelo Petritus, who, you know, following a season where he had over 150 tackles, was also tied for interceptions with another young star in class of 2025, Phenom Aiden Napke, who himself can come up and play really strong in the run game, but just uses great instincts and great movement and IQ to make so many plays on the air. You could tell that teams wanted to test these two young guys this past year, and they made them pay for it uh, by combining for 10 freaking interceptions. The defensive line, you know, you're talking about a safety here, you're talking about a linebacker, but the defensive line remains as intimidating and as solid and talented as a group as any in the entire state. That includes four-star recruit Blake Purchase, who not only headlines his group, his position, but the entire state following a season where he recorded 18 tackles for loss, 83 total tackles, batted a ton of passes at the line of scrimmage, some that even fell in his hand, and, you know, especially at mile high, and led the Bruins in sacks with 12. Now, there's plenty of other people who are going to harass the quarterback with him and opposing ball carriers. You have Chase Brackney, who recently committed to Iowa, where his 6'4", 280-pound bullying frame will fit right in with that hard-nosed culture, but he'll still give it to a opposing lineman this upcoming season in Colorado as well. Not to be forgotten is Gus Salinkis's younger brother, Hank, who is a D1 commit as well on this line. Yeah, that makes for three Division One players all in one position group, who notched 59 tackles last season and finished behind only Purchase and Petritus in tackles in the backfield. You also get another Division One player in Logan Brantley, who committed to Kansas, who returned proving he can do it on the biggest stage in the postseason and all season, where he floats the ball impressively and was just extremely physical. Not as crazy in the box score, but Marte Russell is a guy who switched to defense last year and played quality snaps for a championship squad at linebacker. And you know, this offseason has addressed his pass coverage significantly, making him more well-rounded and just making this entire unit more well-rounded. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, the backfield will continue to be certified fresh and rocking as two incoming seniors in Carlson Tan and Arion Boyd combined for 14 rushing touchdowns and over 1,200 yards last season. And that doesn't even address the class of 2024 talent. Jordan Heron's 5.5 yards per carry on 47 touches. You might also see a solid freshman on the field depending on who they blow out this year in Seth Moss, who you know was one of the better talents in the eighth grade class. And then they also return four of their top five pass catchers, but none are quite as dynamic and headlining as the leading reception and yards guy, Ishmael Cece, who caught 650 yards and six scores on 39 receptions and has shown dominance throughout the country this season through seven on seven and elite 11 invites as a receiver. His persistiveness running routes, his head shakes, his hand movement, his footwork, it's enough to throw off the top DBs in the entire country. And in, once you combine his physicality and his frame, he just is going to be an unstoppable force who is also one of the best recruits in the state. At the quarterback position, you know, there were some guys who threw some passes last year that were not seniors. So, you know, there will be a little bit of a competition. And I've seen some of these guys compete 
whether it's Star for Ducks, there is also this other fella for, I want to say, I don't remember the other 7-on-7, seven seven, but there is another Creek guy that I got to watch in 7v7. And then also they have incoming freshman Brady Vodka who could be competing for the spot. None of these guys really knocked my socks off watching them in the offseason other than, well, I guess not in the offseason, but Brady Vodka is the one who showed me the most in-game football. But, you know, I haven't watched JV film of these guys or anything like that. So they could have a serious stud, but ultimately the quarterback won't be asked to do much. I mean, Christian Hammond wasn't really asked to do all that much. And I think that they'd have to do even less this year since the defense just is returning so much talent. And as it stands right now, Creek has three of the top five recruits in the 2023 class and five of the top 12, which is hilariously ahead of other programs. They also have two three-star offensive linemen in the class of 2024. And the class of 2024 on 24-7 doesn't even have Angelo Petridis ranked, who's already been offered to CU. I mean, this squad is young. They're fast, they're aggressive. It's the most well-coached team in the entire state. Dave Logan has already cemented his place in my mind as the greatest Colorado high school football coach in Colorado history. And now everything that he does after this is extra. It's, he's like on the Tom Brady stage of his coaching where it's like, yeah, whatever he does here just increases the gap between him and whoever's trying to chase him or him and number two, right? So this team is going to be good. They're going to win state again this year. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, honestly, I didn't even... Initially, I didn't even look at their schedule, but we're projecting them to win state with all the talent that they have in superior coaching. But, you know, I did eventually look at their schedule, obviously, and going in depth, I see them having an interesting opening matchup against Rouse and Valley that I think will be a very solid test straight out the gate before they do go on the road to face St. Edwards High School of Ohio. Now, this team out of Lakewood, Ohio, travels the country and plays teams from all over and I think they went 15-1 and overall last year before winning their eventual state championship. Now, this is going to be another great national matchup for Cherry Creek to really test themselves, help the young guys know what that national talent looks like, and compete in a very competitive game. And even if they lose this, I still think that the experience only makes them more dangerous, win or lose, for the rest of the season. Following that, they play Chatfield, who won 4A State last year, Arvada West, who is a playoff team last year, and Regis Jesuit, who is a playoff team last year. I think that they beat Chatfield and Arvada West, and I am going to favor them in Regis Jesuit, but if they were to lose another game this season, it would probably be to Regis. Because uh, once you get into league here, they're going to blow Cherry Cherokee Trail out of the water. Smoky Hill's going to play them closer than last year, but I still don't think it'll be enough. Eagle Crest might be a team that forces a couple turnovers and makes Cherry Creek work, but I think that this Eagle Crest offense might not even be enough to outpower this Cherry Creek defense. They're going to avenge their loss to Arapaho in probably a pretty traumatizing way for Arapaho fans. And then they end the season at home against Grandview with the Centennial League on the line, where I think that they will pull off another slightly close game, but this will still be very competitive. Uh, depending just who's under center for Cherry Creek at the time. And since Grandview has one of the better 
I'll say class of 2024 QBs in Liam Zarka. But I mean, the window of wins for this 10 game season is as little as eight, I want to say, and as high as 10. I'm going to project a nine and one record just because, you know, they did lose their out of state matchup last year. I think that that could be something that continues since I just haven't seen a whole lot from the St. Edward team. But like I said, worst case scenario, they lose two games. But I'm going to call Creek a 9-1 team until proven otherwise. And I wouldn't be surprised if they end up going 10-0. They should still probably be the number one seed in the state, even if they lose to St. Edward, in my opinion. And, you know, once the postseason has to run through Creek, or you just have to face this defense at all, opposing offenses are going to be trembling. I mean, we get some good examples since Rouston Valley was a good offense last year. So that'll be a great test right out the gate. Chatfield will be a very different offense than they were last year, but still one that can still score points and has some athletes. Arvada West, Regis, both teams that are going to have great passing attacks this year. Regis having a very talented quarterback there who can also run the ball that's going to test them. And, you know, Regis is one of those teams that is like maybe they're in that conversation with like Creek, Valor, and Grandview, I want to say, as far as Final Four teams, in my opinion. So, you know, that'll be an interesting game that they do get to play at home. And then I just really don't see anyone other than maybe Grandview stepping up. But Grandview and Eagle Crest are both listed as home games, and those are the harder of the five league games. So that's my projection for Cherry Creek Bruins, and I'm just going to say that they're going to win state again this year. And, you know, if I'm wrong, that's fine, but I'm not going to gamble against them until they give me a reason to. And with that being said, that's a lot of total wins in this entire episode as some of the best teams and some of the best contenders from 5A will be, you know, you'll be hearing plenty about these teams throughout our weekly recaps over the course of the season. But that is going to do it for this episode. For more in-depth analysis of some of the teams that they might be playing, go ahead and check out some of our other season previews of all the other programs as we are almost done here. Uh, with only a couple more episodes and teams to address left for you. But go ahead and catch up on 1 through 5A. We've been covering them all, myself and Coach V. So make sure to check those out anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor. You can also see little TikToks that we make for each team on our TikTok at Playmakers Corner. And you will receive notifications of all of our episodes if you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter where we post episode covers and let people know if we're going live on Twitch or anything like that. So make sure to follow us all on there. And we're also posting some stuff to YouTube as well as Twitch. Both of those are Playmakers Corner. Go ahead and subscribe, follow to those, and uh, give us some bits. But other than that, thank you so much for rocking with us and uh, enjoy this crazy season of football ahead of us here in Colorado.